This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to See Also. I'm Brody Lancaster. And I'm Kate Jinks. And BL, tell me, what have you been up to? Um, I did a jigsaw puzzle the other day mm-hmm. of um, a little beach scene in a place called Positano. Ah, uh, Positano. I transported myself to the Amalfi Coast. This was, in one way, this was me trying to find a hobby that did not involve looking at screens. I love a jigsaw puzzle. And when I filmed it and put it on my Instagram story, I made a joke about, you know how everyone in the world's in Italy right now? All of Melbourne, at least. All of Melbourne's in Italy. Everyone has just taken to Europe. Mm-hmm. And this is not um, a subtweet because you're back from Europe, so you don't count. It was for work. You were there to be a girl boss. You know, so. Everyone else is just sipping Aperol spritzes on the beach. (laughs) So anyway, I posted what I thought was a funny um, uh, kind of satirical Instagram story about how I too was looking at the beach in Positano. And then I clicked through my Instagram stories and I saw the exact scene (laughs) from the jigsaw puzzle that I was doing. 
as a girl I used to work with arrived on the very beach on a boat and panned across the cliffside. And I was like, wait a second. I recognize those cliffs. That pink building is slightly different in color to that red building, which I know because I stared at teeny tiny jigsaw puzzle pieces of them for days on end last week. Oh, BL. So anyway, my relaxing new meditative hobby turned into a source of kind of jealousy and resentment for me. Cool, cool. I'm glad that worked out Very for you. Very good. Still on the hunt for a new hobby, so any suggestions, let me know. Mm, mindfulness, right? Yeah, mindfulness. My therapist will be so happy to <laughs> find out I found a, another new hobby. How about you? I have not been doing any mindfulness whatsoever I've I've just been working broken record I know every week but um I'm like in a little bit of a work bubble for the foreseeable future Mm -hmm. like RIP to my what have I been up to (laughs) (laughs) but uh I'm getting through it I actually went to Sydney for on the weekend which was really a nice little trip I went to see family and it also happened to be the closing weekend of the Sydney Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So I got along to see a film that I had missed at Cannes uh, and I really wanted to see on the big screen, Close, by Lucas Daunt, which ended up winning the um, big film prize, the Sydney Film Prize. Oh, cool. Very deserved. I thought it was incredibly beautiful, kind of a sad start to a Sunday morning. And mm. I took my sister and... It was just really delightful, though, <laughs> to just go and see something in the in the State Theatre. Yeah, that's so nice, a little jaunt to Sydney. It's yeah. been forever since I've been there. Yeah, and then I went to um, the closing night of the festival, which was really fun. Uh, the new Kore Eda film broker screened, uh, and that's great. What else did I do while I was in Sydney? I, I popped into the new Ace Hotel. I love a hotel bar. Don't we all? Yeah, and it was it had opened up just around the corner from where I was staying. And uh, I popped in not once but twice. And I was only in Sydney for like two days. Um, so you're behaving like people who live in Sydney? I'm absolutely behaving. Yeah. I used to live in Sydney, <laughs> I so, know. you know. Um, when I lived in New York, my office was around the corner from the Ace Hotel there. And we literally took all our meetings in the lobby. Once I saw Susan Sarandon going into opening ceremony. Oh, that's pretty good. I chased her and pretended to be buying some happy socks, but she was gone. <laughs> well, if you are stopping by the ace i would recommend this one cocktail that they're doing Mm -hmm. called a low rider and i had that with some bloody mary hot chips delicious sorry bloody mary hot chips chips with like a bloody mary salt rub Mm. essentially on them uh okay anyway it was um it was very nice that sounds amazing yeah what else what else with you I had also some very good chips last week, actually, now you mention it. (laughs) I went to the football. I have not been to a game at the MCG. Okay, put it in perspective. I used to go to the football almost every week if my team was playing in Melbourne. Since the 2019 grand final, I have been to now a total of two games at the MCG. Uh, Footy was taken away from us for a very long time. And also in that time, I just got so used to just sitting on my couch and watching it or sometimes going to a pub. But I've become, I've realized just way too complacent about being at home. And if there is an option to do something out in the world or to do it at home, or if I can cancel something and just stay home instead, I have found myself really just leaning into my like hermit behavior which when you live alone and you've been in strict lockdown for two winters is understandable, but also not great. Mm. So my friend Georgia kind of 
put it in perspective for me. And she was like, you know, it's a bit of an effort to go to the game, but you're going to sleep like an hour later than you usually would. Like you, and it's something that we like really enjoy doing my friends and I together. So we went and watched Richmond vs. Carlton. It was cold. It was misty rain. It was dark. I was cold. I was surrounded by the worst men you've ever experienced in your life, but I had a really nice time being back at the MCG, which is a beautiful stadium, watching my beloved Richmond football club win with my friend Georgia and they are now serving the Gammy Korean fried chicken restaurant now has a stall at the MCG. And so I got honestly, maybe the best hot chips of my life. Um, that is a big call. Every single chip was crunchy. You know yeah. how you like, so, I don't know. I can't relate to anyone who makes a beeline for a soft chip, but I'm fully crunchy a hundred percent of the time. They batter their chips, I think. And they are Crispy, 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 100% and really fluffy on the inside. And there's such a long line for them. They come out piping hot, fresh. Mm. So I highly recommend next time you go to the MCG, just get honestly too many chippies. I've never been to the MCG. And the only thing I really know about it is its depiction in the book, The Glad Shout, where it was a essentially a refugee centre for people who had lost their homes in a great flood. Oh, okay. It's like a cli-fi. Uh-huh. Anyway. Um, that's so that's all I can think of. It's like, sounds like, where do you future. put your baby? <laughs> <laughs> um, in the chip warmer because it'll be so toasty. I've never seen a football game. Oh, my God. Maybe I'll convert you. I mean, I won't, but maybe. You can give it a go. Look, I'll give it a red hot go. Mm-hmm. So last week we did a specific focus on rom-coms and there's one movie that we both watched in the time since. So we're kind of going to revisit the genre, Mm -hmm. but talk specifically about the new romantic comedy Pride and Prejudice adaptation, Fire Island. Look, I like a Jane Austen adaptation as we've discussed famously Mm -hmm, in, in an episode, but I really hated that trend of like, and zombies, like oh, just oh and God. zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Pride and Prejudice and gay. Yes, I'm into that. I'm interested. Yeah. My little eyebrows perked <laughs> up. And what's the new, there's a new trailer for a Dakota Johnson Austin vehicle. Oh, I did see the trailer. Everyone was making fun of that online. Yeah, it's that genre of trailers where it's just people, like a montage of people glancing here and there while like frantic violin scores over the top so it's like and it's like beautiful people looking at each other yeah and it ends up looking like an snl sketch right yes all i can remember from i don't even remember what book it was i just i keep going to say prejudice it was about prejudice as if pride and prejudice is like a series yeah um i just remember some like she had a line like i'm paraphrasing but it's like we used to be enemies and now it's worse. We're friends, or something like that. That it was like, oh. yeah. We should look into that. I mean, I'm sure we can cover that in depth. I'm sure we will. I'm what sure if she's a lesbian? Then we'll definitely cover it. It has, yes, definitely. It has. She won't be. That, who's the actor Harry from Crazy Rich Asians? Oh, Golding. Harry Golding. Love him. Well, he stars in it. 
Well, let's do it. Okay. All right. We've we have to. If we must. Ourselves. If we must. <laughs> wow. Stay tuned for that excited <laughs> rendition. Yeah. Despite the pride and prejudice and gaze twist, I feel like I went into watching Fire Island maybe a little bit cynical. Like I, I think I caught myself ready to kind of find reasons not to like it because it's it's so many things that I do really genuinely enjoy. It's like a summer romp. I love so many of the cast. I'm a big Lost Culturistas listener. I've been kind of following the production of this movie. And so I think I was just like, oh, it's going to be too obvious to enjoy it. But I found myself, I watched it twice in the space of a week and will absolutely watch it again very soon. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's it was really, really fun. Sweet. Really yeah, it's sweet. really fun. I've already sent it to a bunch of people saying like, if you need something else to watch. Yeah. So basically the plot is that it's written by Joel Kim Booster, who stars in it. Mm-hmm. And it was originally meant to be a TV series on Quibi. No. Yeah, it was a Quibi series. Oh, my God, the quibby joke that Margaret Cho yes. makes is now so much funnier. Mm-hmm. And so, and of course, quibby famously dad. And, uh, Remember when they blamed the pandemic for people not wanting to watch videos on their phones? <laughs> Do you remember? There was, I never saw anything on it, but there was one show about someone really famous who had like a golden arm. And it like killed people yes, or something. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my god. Yeah. The the shit on Quibi was like 30 rock concepts for TV totally. shows. It was so bizarre. And every show went for like five minutes. I actually <laughs> confession, I had Quibi. I was watching stuff. I was like during pandemic times, I was putting stuff in my Google calendar to remind me when it dropped on Quibi so I could watch it. <laughs> highlights? Quibi highlights? Well, before she was cancelled, Chrissy Teigen had a show called Chrissy's Court, I think, where she like, it was like Judge Judy, but it was Chrissy Teigen. Oh. And she would kind of um, decide, you know, in these petty little squabbles who who would get like, you know, justice. And that was like a food fight show or... That sounds right. People getting... I don't know, cream pie or something. Matt Rogers, who was in Fire Island, hosted a show called Game Show, which was gay M.E. I get it. Yeah, it was very subtle um, (laughs) and very funny. Okay. Yeah. Brings us back to Fire Island. So (laughs) from Quibi, the ashes of Quibi thus rose. We're so lucky that it is not a Quibi show. (laughs) The Phoenix in a feature film. Yes, so basically Joel Kim Booster takes his ragtag bunch of friends um, like they do every year. They're all don't have a lot of money, but Mm -hmm. each year they come together. They're old, old friends and go catch the ferry to Fire Island. (laughs) Essentially, it's like a vacation spot and it has been known as a particular gay spot. Mm. Two spots on Fire Island, which is off New York, Cherry Grove and the Pines are kind of like the, the little enclaves for for gay communities. Yeah. Yeah. So this film, so they, every year they catch the ferry to go and stay with their friend played by Margaret Cho. Who's like a kind of den mother. Lesbian den mother who won a case and was suddenly rich and bought a house on Fire Island. (laughs) And so that's essentially the, and it's quite funny because I've, I've got quite a few friends who still go to Fire Island. Mm -hmm. I've never been myself. And they all seem to stay in houses owned by lesbians. Really? So there you go. That's a thing. Oh, my God. The lesbians are monopolizing the island. I love it. Mm-hmm. I once read a book, like when I was a teenager, that Anne Brashares, who wrote The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, after that series, her first foray into like 
non-YA novels was this book called The Last Summer of You and Me. It's on the shelf behind me. And it was set on Fire Island, but it was like a straight romance. Mm. And so my initiation to Fire Island was like rich white straight people (laughs) falling in love. So I got like a very skewed introduction to the place. Okay. I wish it was set here. Uh, The Fire Island in this film is very... Well, we haven't been there, so we can't really say that it's not true, but it's kind of like, I don't know, is it the Byron Bays of Fire Island? I guess so. Well, I mean, I guess it sets up this dynamic where they're the kind of uh, like Joel Kim Booster's group of friends are like the scrappy hustlers who are all still broke or still, you know, aspiring to something. They live in this beautiful sweet house that Margaret Cho owns, but they come into contact with a kind of group of rich chiseled gays. Mm-hmm. Um And there's attraction between, you know, a couple of them um, and it leads to these kind of fish out of water scenarios, these clashes in like morals and ethics and standards. And, um, you know, I heard Joel Kim Booster say in an interview about the series, I think it was on Colbert, he said, you know, when we're not being oppressed in like the real world, how do we oppress one another when it's just us around? And so it it has a kind of um, it does that through through an Austin lens of like high society and low class or something like that. Yeah. I think it's just really, this kind of film is so overdue that we're getting this, like not only this like fun gay romp of a film that is on Disney plus. Wild. 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 There are two gay orgy scenes. I know. Love it. In this Disney film. Um, But yeah, it's that, that it's also like not made by like white cis dudes. You know, it's made largely by people of color and it really goes into like the minutiae of like that specific experience of like the gay dating scene. So yeah, Joel Kim Booster's character Noah, the the heart of the film, aside from these romances, is the friendship between him and Howie, played by Bowen Yang. And um Can I just say I I'm loving what a big moment Bowen Yang Me is having. Me too. Me too. And now Joel Kim Booster, of course. Absolutely same here. If you had stuck with the Kardashians this season, or maybe you saw it early on. Oh, no, it was when she did SNL. So I think it was episode three or four. As she's leaving SNL, like the cameras for her show are there and they catch the moment where Bowen's kind of standing there waiting as she leaves. And you can tell he wants to ask her for a photo. And then she stops and she's like, I'm so sorry. Like, this is really dorky. Can I get a photo with you? We love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's, sto- or should she have worn the dress? <laughs> <laughs> when somebody think of the dress. Um, I really adored Bowen's storyline as this friend who feels, especially among this group of very confident, like hedonistic people, he feels kind of unfuckable and invisible, especially in this like largely white, largely very chiseled, like hot guys only, no, no femmes, no fats, no Asians kind of culture. And where this no strings attached kind of like sex and dating is like proliferates, he wants a more traditional thing. And he's kind of grappling with that within his friendship with Noah throughout the film. So it has, it fully leans into like the rom and the com, as we were saying last week, like it's genuinely laugh out loud funny, but the, the tender moments of, 
of that yearning from him are really sweet as well. Like there's a kind of like go big or go home, like romantic gesture towards the end, no spoilers, where someone is kind of like, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. I love you. And everyone's like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Too big. I honked a few times with laughter. There's one, there's a mention of someone's Wi-Fi password in there, which was just so on point. It is, the Wi-Fi password is one of my favorite lesbians. And uh, I used to have a password, Wi-Fi password exactly like it. But just with a different famous lesbian. was Ellen DeGeneres, but all the E's were threes. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) It's the literal joke from the film. I know. I really laughed out loud. Oh, wow. Uh, It was very funny. But yeah, and I also really loved how sexual the film is. Yeah. Like it is, I know, I think I've talked about this before, but it gets so sick of like all of the like queer content that's like good for families and especially gay gay male kind of Mm -hmm. culture as seen on screen at the at the moment it feels very like watered down or like yeah guys are great to shop with uh we talked about it a little in our andy warhol (laughs) episode the idea of like we'll let you be on our tv but no more than little kissies exactly and like Femme, but not too femme. Yeah, yeah, Um, That whole thing. So this film... Don't ever challenge us, please. Yeah, exactly. So I really enjoyed that this film does show, yeah, like the dark room at a party. And it is quite like graphic sex on screen Mm. as far as Disney Plus will allow, Mm. I imagine. That I really enjoyed that that was just part of... It was so matter of fact. Yeah. And it wasn't... I don't like it wasn't making a statement about it. It wasn't like actually not being monogamous is bad or whatever. Mm. And like, you know, they're making jokes about the ethical slut in it. I I just really enjoyed all of that side of things. Yeah. That scene is like they're at a party and in the preceding scenes where they're getting ready to go, they all kind of like pull their party drugs together. And it's like, oh, I've still got some ketamine I bought in Mexico and I've still got this and that. And that was kind of the only moment where I felt like, oh, who is the, who are the people you're doing this part for? Because there's kind of a moment where they explain like what MDMA does and what ketamine does and all of these things. And I was like, mm, who's this for? Is it like, which, which audience are you, are you talking to here? Like that felt a little Disney. Yeah. And when they me. talk about how no one's ever had a bad night on MDMA, oh, allegedly, well. <laughs> I feel that people have. Allegedly. I, allegedly. I, I beg to differ. <laughs> Those those biscuits I ate while crying at Meredith Music <laughs> Festival a few years ago beg to differ. Allegedly. Allegedly. There is also so I am not super familiar with Jane Austen or the source material here. I uh famously only saw the uh Tom from Succession Pride and Prejudice a few months ago. But um there are like multiple layers to the love stories in this story, the original story. And so while Howie is kind of having his traditional romance, there is I guess the Elizabeth Bennett, Mr. Darcy at the center of it, which is Noah played by Joel Kim Booster and Will played by Conrad Rickamora, who I adore, who I found so hunky when he was on um, How to Get Away with Murder yeah, years ago. I've never ago. seen him in anything. Well, don't watch that show because it was bad, but um, sorry, Shonda. Uh, but <laughs> he was like hot and kind of played the exact same character in that. The film had like this really lovely texture, especially in this scene at the beach between the two of them. They have had this kind of very combative relationship since they first meet on the island, but they in one moment kind of both let their guards down. They realize 
each other likes books, I guess. And they go to the beach and they read and they swim. And it's just this entirely dialogue free little moment. And it's soundtracked by the perfume genius song, Jason, which was on, it was on his uh, record, set my heart on fire immediately. And that record came out in May, 2020. And in like the least horny way possible, like, I found it so painful to listen to that record when it first came out because all it made me want to do was like touch people and like be touched. And so to have that song soundtrack, like that moment in the film where you're watching these characters kind of steal glances at each other, it's very before sunrise, you know, they're kind of just figuring each other out. Mm. It was so lovely. It was really, really lovely. That was a great scene. Yeah. I've seen people having some negative reactions to this film Mm. saying that, you know, it's essentially tries to critique and tackle, you know, like body issues and like how bodies are like everyone is still thin and beautiful and hot and chiseled, even if they're like the scrappy underdog. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I just am kind of grappling with that critique of it like I don't quite know what to make of Mm. that I mean there are there are characters in our like main friendship group who aren't like you know traditionally like the hunk of the island totally um and unfortunately there is like a you know fat black gay character who doesn't have a romantic subplot, doesn't have doesn't, doesn't have seem much of a subplot. Doesn't seem to be the fun one, doesn't seem to have, you know, is the is the least fleshed out of all the characters, which is genuinely unfortunate because everyone in that group really um represents something different. You know, there are the like very performative, like theatrical um two played by Matt Rogers and Tomar Matos, who are so funny. So funny. Um, and then of course, Bowen and, and Joaquin Booster's characters. Um, so yeah, I can, I can totally see where that critique is coming from. I also saw, I follow on TikTok, Lena Wilson, who's a film critic for the New York times, who her main takeaway was, she was like, I love the film, but Margaret Cho should have had a wife. Margaret Cho should have had something going on of her own. Yeah, she should have. That was my other takeaway. I was like, yeah, it's great that they've got this cool lesbian den mother making jokes about like crabs and stuff. But love that. I mean, love it. Love, Love it. Love that. And I actually really liked seeing Margaret Cho in a, even though I've just said that, in a more dramatic role than we normally see her in on screen. Because she's been doing all these like little bit parts in a lot of things. But to see her have an emotional arc was really great. Mm. That said, she's just kind of tagging along to the parties and being like very supportive, but there's no, I don't know. There's like no sensuality or sexuality there. Yeah, absolutely. Like they, the creators of the films and the stars speak of her as this kind of like guiding light in their like comedy upbringings. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, she feels a little underused. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I loved the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a quick see also. Um, Variety's just released all their actors on actors interviews. They've got like Quinta Brunson, who made Abbott Elementary, which I love, interviewing Adam Scott about Severance, or they're interviewing one another about their two workplace oh, cool. comedies. Um, Gene Smart is doing one with Martin Short, but then Bowen Yang has one with Cynthia Nixon, <gasps> which just came out today, which... You know, if you want someone to speak honestly about 
and just like that and the way it deals with the intersection of uh race and gender and sexuality Cynthia is not the person I'm going to for that. But having said that, there was a very sweet dynamic between the two of them. And, um, you know, for all the for all the ways that and just like that didn't quite know how to deal with that. The shady as of it all, let's just say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the point of view of Fire Island kind of just shines a little bit brighter when you think of the fact that there are two East Asian gay men discussing how their experiences are both similar and different. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's something that you, you don't get, or you really, really lose when like kind of diversity casting means that you just have like one Asian person or one black person or whatever, there is no opportunity for like, I don't know, like a breadth of experience to be put on screen. And like the fact that those two characters can have such different experiences, such different perspectives because they are different people. (laughs) Totally. And also, I mean, it's really, it's often that someone who isn't white, who is in a cast, like their character becomes like a lasagna of like different issues for one person to face you know like they're representing this community they're representing that like every community so that the other characters don't have to do shit yeah you know that they can just live their happy little lives yeah uh so yeah it was really cool to see in this film just those different viewpoints and different access points to this particular side of queer culture it was mm. very cool and I yeah. really enjoyed my time with them and um you brought up Los Culturistas of course the podcast that Bowen Yang and Matt Rogers have hosted for many many years yeah. it's very funny uh, but they had an episode a couple of weeks back where they talked about making this film like in depth with Joel Kim Booster and the director Andrew Arn, which is a really fascinating episode and they talk a lot about like seeing them, like watching the rushes of the film and the early cuts and then having their own body issues, seeing themselves on screen and working all of that through. Mm. And it's really a great like deep dive Mm. into it. And it's also really fucking funny. If you haven't listened to the podcast before and you haven't seen Fire Island, I would recommend jumping into it with an episode that Meg Stolter is on any Meg Stolter episode of that show, because she is such a great guest, the episodes go for like roughly a hundred hours when she's on (laughs) and like, you just don't mind. Yeah. 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 I've gotten one more C also for Fire Island. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a scene in it where there's like a quick kind of potted history of Fire Island and what it means to the queer community. And you see, I love those those images, a quick montage of a few archival images. There are just beautiful, beautiful images from the fifties that I've seen. um, And like all the tea parties, but there's one collection that was shown a couple of years ago in New York. um, And it's the photographs by Meryl Meisler and her photographs are actually in the film. I noticed because a few of them I recognized. And uh, so I've got a link to an article about her where you can look at a gallery slideshow of, um, of her incredible images that were all taken in the seventies there. Mm. You just talking about the the tea parties that were kind of like the central meeting point when everyone arrived on the Island just made me realize that what we need next is not a Fire Island sequel, but a Dinah Shaw movie. 
Oh my God, sign me the hell up. Yeah. Absolutely. Should we write that? I've never been and I'm not a lesbian, <laughs> but maybe I'm going to co opt the culture for a film. You're an ally. I am an ally. <laughs> have I told you? Happy Pride. Maybe I have that my, one of my nephews was doing, like, reading through these, like, 90s trivia cards over Christmas when we were together. And. <laughs> One of them, he didn't recognize the name of the show, and he, he called the Uga Chaka show Ally McBeal. <laughs> Ally McBeal. And every time I see like Pride Ally or I'm an Ally or people who think that the A in LGBTQIA stands for Ally, <laughs> I think of Ally McBeal. Well, look, she was a proponent of the unisex bathroom before the rest of us. <laughs> she truly was. Oh, hey, speaking of not Ally McBeal, but the gay adaptations of Pride and Predge or of Jane Austen novels, actually, I was thinking about this. This is not like the first one. Mm. Like, I'm sure that there have been a lot of musicals, etc., and like a lot of off-Broadway productions of this in the past. Yeah. But Clueless, the film, was an adaptation of Emma. Mm -hmm. And one of the characters who in the original book, Frank Churchill, is Christian, the cake boy. Oh, the cake boy, the friend of Dorothy. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Pioneer. Pioneer. Imagine if that actor had had a cameo in Fire Island. I would have loved that. Maybe he did. We just don't know. Yeah, Justin Walker, where are you now? (laughs) BL, we've been talking a lot about the television we have been watching the last couple of weeks, but there is one big show that we both loved season one of. Mm -hmm. I think we've got slightly differing takes of the second season, (laughs) but I really want to talk to you about Hacks. I always want to talk about Hacks. This is perfect. Yeah, look, I loved season one. Season two just took a long time to get into. It took you a while to, to come around to it. It was a complete... It was kind of a new show. Like they took everyone out of Vegas, they put them on a bus and there were all these inbuilt like tension. It was quite a tense show for a while there. Yeah, it really was. What was it that you weren't vibing with? Do you think? Hmm. I think it was just, it was just very slow to start. Mm. And I just felt like some of the issues from the first season just dragged too far into this one Mm -hmm. or, I don't know. Like, I just really felt like, you know, she's just kind of had this massive, like she's bombed badly. She's having this, like her career is in free fall, essentially. I I just wanted something kind of like some momentum, some movement happening a little bit earlier. Yeah, you're right there. While they are on the road and they're kind of, they're quite literally moving all over the place. Um, and we're told that the act is changing or getting better or different. We don't see it so much or hear it. Um, we're just kind of told as they're uh, discussing jokes and things like that. Yeah, I find that kind of frustrating because I really, you know, understand the inner workings of <laughs> what it's like to be a comedian who is a female. Yeah. Um, Myself, I am not one, but my partner is. We've uh, talked a lot about Maisel as well and yeah. how it feels to watch like bad jokes on TV. Oh, so, if, like, give us some bombs or give us some like nights where you kill. Yeah, like, I'm really happy to see that character, like Gene Smart's character, Deborah Vance, a 
totally flail on stage. Like I don't need to see her kill it every single episode, Mm. but I kind of would have liked to see some of her performances or just them workshopping jokes a bit more, even if they don't Mm. land or it's a little, I know that that can be kind of, contrived in a way you know when you see a biopic about like a musician and you see them writing the lyrics to a really famous song and you're like oh give me a break (laughs) like I understand that but it's like we don't know these jokes so we're not like oh that's how that joke was written you know like that that famous Deborah Vance bit (laughs) exactly um and look I know that Ava is meant to be a really annoying character, but I just find her just so annoying. I can't. Ooh, she's so effective. Four, I know the first four or five episodes, she's doing a great job of being annoying. Oh yeah. I find it a really impressive show in the way that it gets to like the craft of writing and kind of like that being your sole focus. You're right that we didn't see like the, the tension between Ava and Deborah took focus the lawsuit and all of that and being on the bus and and Deborah really punishing Ava for the first few episodes that took more of a focus but as the season goes on um it I think that the writing of the show the way that like Jen Statsky and and Paul W. Downs and Lucia Agnello like write the show and pace the season was really efficient I thought and I think it it was plotted well to get to the point that it got to by the end of the season. Um, you know, you understand why Ava doesn't just get up and leave Deborah when like Marcus, the character of Marcus who kind of imploded at the end of last season, there's an episode where he kind of lets loose and goes to a party and um, I think does MDMA and he had a bad night on MDMA. He had famously had a bad <laughs> night on MDMA. You know, he ran into his ex. He got a little too vulnerable. And then he almost, something almost very bad happens to a very cute character, which I won't spoil. And it has stakes. There are real stakes involved and you really feel them. And I think all of that is why the end of the season kind of let me down a little bit. Wow. See, I was the exact opposite. I was like the first, I don't know how many episodes, first four episodes or something. Yeah. I was really like, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Mm. And then it sucked me in. See, it's I was sucked in from the start, but I think by the final, I thought the last episode should have been at least two episodes, if not more, you know, like there's this culmination in Deborah realizing that the act she's been taking on the road shouldn't be another Vegas residency. It should be a, a, a an hour long special on streaming, which, you know, is very fitting for like the world that the show is set in. But it kind of goes from like Deborah realizes she has to do a special. She does the special, but can't sell it. She sells it. And then she gets a network deal for the special she's already made and funded herself. And it all happens in like 30 minutes of TV. Mm -hmm. And it all felt a little rushed to me because then the episode also ends on like a really emotional moment. And Ava has her own storyline completely separate to this. And it all just felt like it was a little too much to squeeze into one single episode. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I felt like that happened in the first season as well, though, the final episode. I felt like it was exactly that. It was like, oh, and now they need a really big episode at the end of the season. Yeah. I did like how the, like the Marcus and Marcus wasn't such a big presence this season, just by nature of them going on the road for the first part of it before he joined them. But I did like the way that his and Ava's kind of roles in Deborah's life 
played off each other. You know, last season Ava left her to do the job in LA and Marcus stayed and lost his relationship as a result. This time Ava left the job early, came to Deborah, and Deborah, because they are both workaholics, was like, I can't let you sacrifice your career for me. And Marcus kind of served as like a his dedication to Deborah kind of became like a cautionary tale for Ava and for like the show as a whole of like, how much of your life are you giving to work? Mm. Yeah, totally. But I also isn't bad that I watch everything that Deborah Vance does and the way she treats some of her workers. And I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> like, is that, am I just the worst person? No, I like, don't like, think so. But people love her. She's very charismatic and she cares deep down. Uh, my favourite episode this season was the one where they are at the county fair That's or the state fair. That's my favourite episode. So good. Such a nice little bottle episode. Oh, it um, was great. I'm, my mind is slipping away from the name of the actor who plays th- her old comedy friend. But basically the storyline is that Deborah, back in the days of like, you know, being like in college and trying to win a spot on like a comedy lineup where they could only probably fit one woman. She kind of pulled some strings so that it was her and not another woman. And she always felt really bad about it. She's felt really guilty. She tries to make amends when she sees this woman's life and she projects that her life is sad and empty without, oh, they run into each other at a department store. That's right. Yeah. Where the woman is working in the shoe department. Yeah. She's working for commission. Francine. So Deborah invites her to her set and then, you know, goes into all this backstory And then by the end, Francine kind of puts it back on her and is like, I don't want your life. Like I saw backstage at that show that your daughter fell and had a concussion and all you could think about was your act. And I said, I don't want to live like this. And so it's this real interplay between like her personal life and her work life and like what is the most valuable to her. And ultimately it's her work and it's, it's going well for her, but you understand then why there is absolutely no way why she can let it fail. Oh, absolutely. And also that kind of cutthroat nature of the industry, particularly when that time, you know, when it was set, you know, when there were so few female comedians coming up. Yeah, I found that that was really, I was like, is that real? Does that set on like, you know, did someone bring that up in a writer's room of, mm. a, a, you know, someone else's tale? But yeah, I loved that episode and I love that actor. Speaking of great actors who appear in this TV show, oh, Laurie Metcalf as the <laughs> tour manager, like this butch tour manager is just so good. I love Laurie Metcalf. What is she? She makes them stop at like four different or like on her break, she gets like fries from McDonald's, burger from Burger King, drink from somewhere else. Yeah, she's so great. She knows how to live. And of course, Meg Stolter is just incredible in this show and has been rightfully getting all of the kind of accolades of this show. Yeah, her double act with Paul Downs as Jimmy, who gets his big Jerry Maguire moment this season is really satisfying also jane adams who plays ava's mom yes i love when she reappears this year and she's like been sucked into an mlm yeah it's really great (laughs) but she wants to be a girl boss yeah well don't we all yeah well we are i was annoyed by a particular line now i'm just being petty but at one point i think is it ava that says that sorry ava if it's not you but you're fictional. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> that Paul McCartney is the straight beetle to like. He is not. Paul McCartney is the gay cherub to like. Yeah, that was a real um, a misread of, of popular history. Uh, 100%. <laughs> 
Um, My love for Paul McCartney is real. And the lesbian cruise got a lot of things right, but it got some things wrong. Oh, yeah, like what? Like when she does a set. I won't tell you exactly what happens in the episode, but, you know, there's one point when they're loving her and then they kind of turn on her. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that the audience would actually turn on some of those jokes. They'd be quite into it to Mm -hmm. a point. I don't know. Like it just felt a little bit. Yeah, well, the whole setup for that episode is that Deborah's so excited because she's going on a gay cruise. She like the gays love her. It's going to be so much fun. They laugh at all her like un-PC material, I think, is the like premise. And then she finds out that it's actually a lesbian cruise and that she's been booked on mistakenly. She's like, the lesbians hate me. She finds this out from Margaret Cho also. I I know, and I love that. And, of course, the lesbians love Margaret Cho, and Margaret Cho had a great time, of course. (laughs) And, of course, Jean Smart is just, you know, as much as I'm like, oh, you know, the first couple of episodes were a bit of a snooze, I loved watching Jean Smart in this show. You know, shout out to her sexy neighbor role in the Brady Bunch movie. Can we please? (sighs) Oh, my God. Also, she has, like, another sexy 90s moment this season when a guy hits on her in the bar and I looked at him and I said to myself, is that fucking Devon Saw? Oh my God. And then I looked it up on IMDb and it was fucking Casper. Now and then my floppy haired wild America King who fucks Gene Smart's character. Oh my God. Yes. And I Googled. So for me. I only know him from Casper. I just want to say. Can I keep you? Well, in his other Christina Ricci vehicle in Now and Then, when he and his brothers, the Wormy Wormers, are swimming naked, the girls steal their clothes and then you see all their little butts, which in the 90s was very erotic. Mm. Um, Risque. He was in this film with Jonathan Taylor Thomas called Wild America, where also there was a skinny dipping scene. And that was 1997. And I looked up what Gene Smart looked like in 1997. And let me tell you, they would have been playing mother and son. And the fact that in 2022, they were playing lovers thrilled me. Mm, I like it. One time I talked about Devon saw on stage at an event. And then <laughs> I, to, <laughs> once again, my tweets getting me in trouble. I tweeted something about how we will always be obsessed with Devon saw. It was with the writer, Jenny Zhang and I, we had somehow brought him up in conversation and he must have been searching his name on Twitter. <laughs> And he essentially replied and was kind of like, I think he thought we were making fun. I think we thought we were being like, haha, remember Devon Saw, that guy who no one's heard of since the 90s or something? And I was like, no, no, I've wanted to root you since I was six years old. Like, (laughs) I'm obsessed with you still. You're like, it's good, babe. It's good. It's good. So then I had to be kind of like, no, Devon Saw, don't be upset with me on Twitter. (laughs) Speaking of girl bosses, Mm -hmm. there is a great piece that I want to recommend on The Atlantic. It's written by Jordan Calhoun, and it's kind of puts forward this idea that hacks is a cautionary tale for work addicts. And let me tell you, it hits a little close to home. I think, Jingzi, you also (laughs) will. I just said, I think it's fine the way she works and the way she (laughs) treats everybody. That's okay. Yeah, well... As someone with no hobbies that I can't retrofit into a job, um, see my earlier uh, reference to my puzzle, which ended up getting me very upset. I just want to read out part of this article that says, 
The ability to work past the point of exhaustion feels like a superpower that comes with a cost. And while I wish I could say that I'm better at work-life balance now, that's not exactly true. I've simply become aware of the consequences of burnout and the potential for resentment from family, partners, or friends. While I take pride in the work I do, I take even more pride in the amount I can work without having a breakdown. I believe that most people who succumb to overwork are, like me, a certain kind of optimist. We believe in a later that doesn't exist. Things will slow down. Things will get better right after this project, this week, this month, this year. I have been saying things will slow down after this week for 10 years now. Yeah, that really hurts. I'm probably on 20 years. (laughs) That does hurt, yeah. (laughs) So anyway, really recommend that piece if you want to feel bad about yourself. I'm just older. I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) I was being silly. You're a girl boss. Okay, our girl bossery. (laughs) Do we need to clarify? The ironic usage, but it's it's slipping in so frequently. I feel like it's, you know, when you start saying awesome or something. For me, it's groovy. I love groovy. Yeah. I'm just flagging it. We just, we can assess it at another junction. Okay, we're keeping this in, by the way. Do you want me to stop? No, I love it. Okay, good. If at any point we stop loving girl bosses, I'll probably keep going. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for Also Also's. This is a segment where every week Kate and I uh, dish up a few fresh recommendations to one another. And to you, Dixie, what's your first one? My first one is a new album, recent album, called Baby You Know by a British band called Bas Jan, named after like Basian Arda, the artist. But they're an experimental post-punk band, a group of four women. It centers around Serafina Steer, who's like a well-known harpist and experimental musician in the UK. But the music is kind of like... It's a bit Tom Tom Club. It's a little bit like Lilliput Kleenex. There's a bit of Electrolane in there. I don't know. It really reminds me of this band Pulsalama, who had this incredible song called The Devil Lives in My Husband's Body, which we should probably link to. It's such a good song. And, like, it's a bit life without buildings. It's like all of those sorts of sounds, Uh, and it's really, really fun. Like, I have mostly been listening to like folk or country or classical music lately because it's all I can have on while I'm working. Mm -hmm. But every so often I need a little bit more pep in my day and I've been listening to something on this album. I particularly love the song called Sex Cult and it has a very good video clip. Um, I, of all those bands you listed, I'm only familiar with Tom Tom Club. So I feel like I now have a list of new things to listen to too. Great. Yeah. My first one is an eat also. Yesterday I uh, went down to Williamstown where despite living in Melbourne for 14 years, I had never been to Williamstown before. Where is it? Um, It's like by the bay. Don't ask me any more questions. I took an Uber. Um, (laughs) You got to go over the bridge to get there. Okay. All right. I hosted a panel at the Williamstown Literary Festival. My friend Sinead Stubbins book came out. Just over a year ago, it's called In My Defense, I Have No Defense, and I um, got to host a little Q&A with her at the festival there. Really lovely, and afterwards a group of us went down the street to the Hobson's Bay Hotel, which is this really lovely kind of classic pub that's been done up, very warm, got tartan carpet in the dining room. It's very chic and cute with a really great pub menu and that is where the eat also comes that was all background that's where my eat also comes in because the oysters there were maybe the best oysters I've ever had in my life like they're very fresh 
very clean and like ocean tasting, not too big, not murky in any way. I mean, we were like a few blocks from the beach. So I like to imagine that they are peak, peak fresh, but they are also served with um, not only a mignonette, but a jalapeno hot sauce, which is just like a really lovely addition to a salty, briny little oyster. Oh, there is nothing better than a fresh oyster by the bay, is there? A cold oyster on a cold day. I sat in the sun, then it got a bit too cold to sit outside, so we went inside. When you were saying uh, tartan carpet before, I felt my eyes, like, flicker. And it... it, Because it's so enticing to me. It's like cellar door. The most beautiful (laughs) phrase on earth, tartan carpet. Tartan carpet. Yeah, that's our version of rural Jura, isn't it? But I felt like my eyes were doing that thing in the movie The Witches when, like, the witches see children and they get little flames in their eyes. That's I felt that that's what happened to me anyway. Very cosy. I got to go. My next one is less cosy. It's a read also. It's an excerpt from Sarah Polly, the actor, director, writer... A new memoir. It's in The Guardian. It came out a couple of days ago and it's getting quite a lot of traction. I've seen quite a few people posting about it, but uh, it's a really great read. It's basically kind of titled, It Took Me Years to See How Responsible Terry Gilliam Was for My Terror. And in it, she reckons with the memories she has of appearing in the incredible film, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen from 1987, She was cast in it as an eight-year-old. She plays a great character, Sally Salt. And she talks about how, you know, Terry Gilliam, the director, and his, you know, famously has a lot of madcap ideas and doesn't always get to follow through on what he's trying to make. Okay. Bit too ambitious, essentially. Uh Uh-huh. And this piece talks about how she and her family essentially moved to Rome for the shoot But there are a lot of really awful things that happen in the film, like a lot of explosions and, you know, issues with water, etc. And she talks about her experience as a child actor and how she felt like she was not at all cared for on set. And when she tried to talk about it um, or complain or, you know, try to not have to do a scene again, her parents were quite complicit with, uh, you know, you just mm. have to do it. That's what Terry wants because they saw him as a bit of a star, yeah. uh, which he is. In it, she actually speaks to Terry Gilliam about uh, and his memory of it. And it's a, just a really great sort of adult conversation. Uh-huh. And she also talks about how Eric Idle always had her back. And I loved that. Oh, I love that. But yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting piece and it makes you think about, the nature of art making and, you know, films as sort of like a collective output and taking care of each other and how you can push people because you think that then you'll get the reaction you want, but actually Mm. it's to the detriment of the, not just the actors, but also the work itself. Yeah. Like how much is like one man's artistic vision worth? Exactly. Anyway, it's really great. It really made me want to read her memoir. Mm. My next one is a buy also and it's kind of a belated one when we first um kind of tried out the idea of doing this podcast I think I talked about it then and it is something I receive compliments on just about every day that I leave the house and I'm yet to talk about it publicly publicly as if it's a secret (laughs) it's not it's my phone case which is made by a sculptor who uh, now creates phone cases in LA. Her name is Bailey Hikawa. And as with everything, I'll put a link in the show notes. They are 
expensive as far as phone cases go, but they're all kind of like made from resin, handmade. Sometimes she'll put uh, like my one that I'm using has little dried flowers inside it. And it is the chunkiest thing um, you've ever seen. It's very structural. I can sit my phone at both landscape and portrait. Um, if I want to watch something, like if I'm doing the dishes or like brushing my teeth and I want to keep watching something, it also is kind of ergonomic. Like there are spots for all my hands to sit along the back and it's really thick. You can't fit it in your pockets. My little tiny bum bag struggles to fit it in, but I kind of, I mean, it's not a drawback for me. I really love it. My last one is a carry also as a new acquisition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's a Southern Field Industries shopper bag. Mm -hmm. It's essentially a black tote bag. I'm not going to lie, but it's handmade in the Saitama region of Japan. And it's a really small company uh, founded by uh, Manabu Okada, who used to work his father's company making equestrian products. Uh And so he's translated that craftsmanship into bags essentially but the thing is it's just really clean it's really well made it's not fully made from leather it's made from like a heavy duty japanese waxed cotton Uh with some leather detailing yes i'm trying not to buy much leather at the moment gotcha but the best thing about it is it has no visible branding whatsoever and you can fit your laptop in and you can fit like i i flew with it today and i fit my whole winter coat in it you yeah know? okay so it's like a good every day like you can take it to work you can take it wherever you need to and not feel like a total putz mm-hmm. like i have spent way too much money on trying to find the perfect tote bag haven't we all and then we all have a million free ones in a tote bag that There's we can't get rid of. them in the corner of the room that we're in. Exactly. It's yeah. like no houses without them. Yeah. So it's absolutely stupid to spend money on a new one. But I've been chasing this dream forever and I think I've found it. Mm-hmm. I think I've found it. You can get it in Australia from uh, the standard store online oh. or in Sydney and Melbourne. My last one is a new-ish documentary series It's kind of a weird recommendation because I don't think it's streaming anywhere legally in Australia. I know we have listeners overseas and local listeners might want to acquire it in other ways like I did. It's a series called The Deep End and it's four parts. It aired on Hulu in the States. I think it was produced by Freeform or maybe it aired on Freeform, vice versa. But anyway, you can stream it if you're in America. And it's a documentary about this spiritual practitioner whose name is Teal Swan, and she is a woman who is very scary um, (laughs) and has very specific ideas about the world and herself and relationships and how people should exist or should cease to exist. She has developed this massive following. She charges a lot of money for people to kind of do workshops with her and, and get her advice. She has an enormous following on YouTube. She's someone I never had heard of before I watched this documentary and it is fascinating. The documentary team managed to get such proximity to her and to her kind of inner circle, but there's this incredible character in the four-part documentary that they sent Teal Swan and her team essentially hire this woman who is an expert in cults and cult programming to research um, and interview past members. They basically go, you can talk to whoever you want. We want you in your expertise to tell people that we're not a cult 
Mm-hmm. And she does all this investigating and you see them, you know, you see them going about their business. Then you see her going about her investigation. At the end, she presents her findings to them. And let me just say, they don't love what she has to say. <laughs> so it's really great if you're like, um, I think there was a, I think there was a podcast that came out about her a few years ago. So for anyone who listened to that podcast, maybe the information in this documentary is nothing new, but for me, I was seeing and hearing it all for the first time. And it was a fucking wild ride. Yeah. I looked her up some great images there. There's some eyebrows mm-hmm. on that woman. You see her, like her closest kind of confidant and like lifelong began as a romantic partner and now is her kind of platonic business partner. Um, who is just dyeing her hair in one scene because she has to have this like auburn jet or almost black hair eternally. It's a very bizarre look. Mm. And her voice is spooky dookie. (laughs) She speaks in one monotonous volume, whether she's talking about like whether your life has meaning or whether she's the most spiritually evolved person on earth or that she's been married five times or that he's the person I need the most in my life. Like she just never wavers in her tone. And that is the eeriest thing about a person, I think. Yeah. That's a real cult guru thing to yeah, do. Yeah. It's essentially like supposed to put you in a meditative state. Ah, I also think it makes her kind of unreadable. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, the deep end, Teal Swan, I'm so scared of you. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I will be looking out for that. I think that is going to be on a legit place at some point soon. I'm we'll sure. let you know when it is. Yeah. Keep you updated. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of See Also. We would love it if you left us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also follow us at See Also Podcast on Instagram where you can Tag us, tell your friends about the show, um, and just generally pay us compliments. Yeah, we love that. We need it. We thrive on it. Thanks, as always, to Samuel Hodge for our incredible imagery and Harvey Sutherland for the beautiful theme music. Bye. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.